Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Stephanie Hubka, the 2021 Vice President of Finance for the Metro DC chapter of ETD. And I'm Christina Eanes, the 2021 Director of Virtual Programs. And I'm Leticia Niago, Vice President of Learning. We also have Helena Hodges, our Director of Technology and Operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing the CEO and Chief Learning Officer at OBA Learn, a recognized expert and speaker in the field of cost management and management accounting, the author of several books, and the TD at Work Preparing and Defending Your Trading Budget, Leanna Bell Oliver. Welcome, Leanna Bell. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are absolutely thrilled that you are here today because I think today's topic is one of those that kind of strikes fear into the hearts of many talent development professionals. And that's money. It's budgeting. It's, you know, kind of the the financial aspect to what we do and how we do the work that we are responsible for in our roles. And it's certainly one where a lot of people tend to throw up their hands and say, this is not an area that I am an expert in. I don't do numbers. I do training. And I am really excited to hear a little bit about your thoughts on why this is a really important topic. But before we jump into any of that... We would love it if you would tell us a little bit about you. Well, uh, it, it, it's kind of hard to span such a long career, right? But, sure. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I am basically trained as a CPA and a certified management accountant. And I jumped into the training field after being at the University of Puerto Rico. When I moved, I moved back to Puerto Rico from California, where I was, I worked at Hewlett Packard and Apple Computer in the finance area. And I moved back to Puerto Rico and was at the University of Puerto Rico and realized that there were, there was a a market opportunity to train professionals in basic financial concepts, not only the, from an accounting standpoint and the accountants, but also the non-financial um, people. And so I left the University of Puerto Rico and started my own business. And that evolved. I, I did that for about 15 years and then decided to dabble my toes in technology. And so I started moving my content online. And that's how OBA Learn was formed in taking my proprietary content and creating an online experience based on some very solid instructional design principles. It was, it was an incredible learning experience to do that. So I'm an accountant by education and experience and a, and, and a trainer, a self-taught trainer, if you, if you would want to put it that way. Um, I have learned basically on my own. I think there are a lot of listeners today who are smiling at that because I think a lot of us find ourselves in that boat. We're kind of accidental trainers or accidental instructional designers. And, you know, we kind of find ourselves in these roles unintentionally in some cases, but it ends up being a wonderful career opportunity. And I love how you have been able to take this expertise that you have as far as finance 
and develop a way to really bring that to an industry that's really in desperate need of that kind of education and even conversation. So as we get started today, I would love for you to talk to us a little bit about the benefits of learning about financial literacy for talent development professionals. Why is it so important for TD professionals to learn about finance and budgeting? Well, I think everything you do has a financial implication. And I think that if you are able to understand what those financial implications are and communicate it, I think you will be in a much better position to achieve your objectives. Um, Many times people propose, uh, training professionals propose, um, you know, training programs and um, that they don't really understand what the financial implications are. And in the case of training, one of the biggest costs, and I hate to use cost in the context of training because to me it's really an investment, but if we want to put a dollar amount on it, the biggest cost is people's time. Because when they are doing training, they're not doing other things for the company that could help them make money or make profits or achieve the objectives. And I think that is a hidden cost and not many training professionals are aware of it. Or if they are aware of it, they're not aware of how much. For example, I did a, I did an estimate of how much uh, a middle management training session of 20 people would cost. And it's about $10,000 just in terms of Ten to fifteen thousand dollars in terms of time, depending on the salary levels, etc. So training can be very costly, and we need to be sensitive to that as trainers when we ask people to commit to a program. I'm really glad that you shared it in that way because I know from my experience, and certainly from talking with others, a lot of times when you see an opportunity in an organization, it can be really easy to say. I know how to fix that. All I need to do is spend a couple of weeks or a couple of months and I can build a program that can bridge the gap and we can get from point A to point B. But there is a cost to that. Even if you have the course authoring tools or if you have the expertise in-house or a learning management system, the cost to that are the people. It's the hours. It's the time spent on something that would otherwise be spent on something else. And I think you're right. It's not something that we necessarily think about when it comes to how we're spending our time and how that impacts our budgets. Well, let me let me just comment on the the phrase you said, we can fix that. Yeah. Because um, what I have seen, and particularly with... Um, training professionals and HR professionals is that sometimes what needs to be fixed is not a training program. You can't Absolutely fix right. it with a training program. You need, you need mentoring, you need something else. And mm-hmm. I think in the case of finance training, and this has been one of my biggest frustrations in working with the in-house um, training departments of fairly large companies is you go in and you give them a training and you tell them, listen, there's got to be follow-up because if people don't use the concepts that you've given them, and particularly in the finance world, they're going to forget. So you need to have, and I don't know whether it's mentoring or brown bag lunches or, you know, there's a whole slew of alternatives. But what I found is almost like 
well, they asked us for a finance training. Here it is. We've checked it off the list and let's move on to something else. And to me as a trainer, as a financial trainer, it it is very frustrating because I don't, I mean, some clients are able to take the ball and run with it and others, you know, you come back, you know, two years later and you have the same people sitting in the room. Yeah. They had never taken it. Absolutely. No, no, I think you're absolutely right about that. And, you know, thinking a little bit about the budgeting process, for example, you know, I I think that creating a budget can be a very stressful and sometimes an overwhelming process, especially if you are a member of a training team or you run a training department. So for first timers, or, you know, even for those of us who just want to have a better experience when it comes to that process, where do you start? And when would be the right time to start thinking about building a budget for the next year? Well, I have a what I call my my motto or an axiom, and that and and I and it's mentioned in the TD at Work pamphlet, and that is you plan first and you budget later. And if you look yeah. at all, I've written three books. The latest one I wrote for TD, which is. Um, 10 Steps to Successful Budgeting, which I highly recommend. I wrote it with a, a colleague, uh, a, a colleague of mine who is also a CPA. And it was a great learning experience for both of us because we each had a lot of experience and we each had different views of what was important in budgeting. And it was interesting to see how we converged on these 10 basic steps. And the very first step is you need to plan before you can budget. And that planning involves, involves a number of things, right? And we can, we can start with understanding what your role, I mean, I, I don't want to go into all the steps of planning, right? But sure. I think one of the, what I see as the Achilles heel or tendon of all the planning processes is they jump right into the budget. Mm-hmm. And they don't, and they start, doing numbers. And we really, sometimes I really don't understand what are the strategies and the action plans or the tactics that support those numbers. Because when you think about it, financial numbers are just a reflection of what, of what is happening in your business. So if you, if you really want to do a good budget, the first thing you need to do is to have a good work plan. And based on that work plan, then you go about estimating what resources you need for the upcoming year. And, and, and the other thing you need to do is to make sure that that work plan is aligned. I have worked in budgeting processes and you ask them, well, well wait a minute, you know, the, the corporate strategy is to do X but you're going off and doing why because that's what you did last year well it doesn't align so i think planning making sure that whatever you're doing in training um is aligned to your organizational strategy is extremely important before you estimate one single number in your budget 
That's fantastic advice. And it sounds like there are a lot of benefits involved if you start off with planning. I think you're absolutely right in that there can be that desire maybe to jump ahead and go right into the numbers, but planning is really important. I'd love to hear you share a little bit more about how the planning process can benefit perhaps not only you, not only listeners who who may be developing budgets, but also the organization itself. Well, there's a number of reasons um, why you do a budget. And again, to me, planning and budgeting is almost one phrase. I mean, I can't do a plan without thinking about the financial implications, and I can't do a budget without thinking about the plans. So when we, how, how that benefits the organization? Well, a lot of times the budget is a coordination exercise. We need to make sure that the right hand knows what the left hand is doing. And again, I've been in a number of planning processes where the operations uh, group is doing one thing and they need the support of the training and development people, but there's no communication there. So they, when they go, when the year starts and they say, oh, we need you to go off and do this, they're going like, well, wait a minute, it's not in my budget. So mm-hmm. there needs to be, uh, the budget is an opportunity to coordinate and communicate with other areas. So it's very important that training professionals go to the areas that they support and understand what they are budgeting for and what their needs are going to be. And then think about how the different training programs in the organization can support those needs and then budget for that, for those needs and how they're going to be met. So that, that to me, that's the, one of the biggest benefits of the budgeting process. The other benefit is resource allocation. You want to make sure that you are allocating resources in a manner that makes sense for the organization. And we know in the training field, um, you know, uh, when things get tight, one of the first things to go is training. So we need to make sure that the way we allocate our resources is a way is is in a way that aligns with the the corporate strategy or your your division strategy. Um, So to me, those those to me would be the two biggest benefits. The other benefit is if you do a good budget and you can actually do simulations. So if you, you can say, well, what if instead of, you know, 200 people, I trained a thousand people, how would that change the numbers? And you can start doing what ifs with your, with your budget that will let you understand if the organization grows what financial resources you're going to need. And if you are asked to make budget cuts, where is it within the budget that you can cut? So to me, those are the the biggest benefits. You need to understand in your training organization what you're using your resources for. And there's a technique that that we use that not many organizations used. It's called activity-based budgeting, but basically saying, okay, my training department does these activities and then you budget for those activities. And then you see if you have 
80% of your resources in an activity that's not very important for the organization, then you need to do some reshuffling within your budget. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Yeah, that that makes complete sense as a matter of fact. And, you know, it actually gets me thinking, too, you had mentioned that communication with your as you're putting the budget together is very important. And I'm wondering, as far as a team is concerned, so if you are part of a training team, who should be involved in the budget development process? Do you find it works best when there's one person working on that? Or is it really a team effort? Well, I'm so glad you brought it up because I actually have it here in my notes. It says yeah. planning is a team effort, <laughs> including managing budget cuts. So oh, that's great. I, I think one of the things that once your recipe for a budget to fail is yeah. for you to prepare it in your office alone. Yeah. Uh, because this is not an exercise for the Lone Ranger. You mm-hmm. really need to get people involved, not only involved, because what happens is a lot of times the manager or the supervisor um, that is preparing the budget sometimes is not quite aware of what's happening with the troops. or mm-hmm. and, and so they will assume that something takes, I don't know, 10 hours when it takes 50 um, or, and, and that will eventually create budget problems. So I think if you have a team, I think it's very, I think you need to identify, um, who on the team are the experts, the people that you want to make sure that you get their input into the budget. And, and that applies not only as you're preparing the budget, but if you are asked to cut the budget, which is is very common um, that you get people involved with the budget cuts. One of the complaints that I hear a lot from managers is, "Oh, um, they arbitrarily cut my budget ten percent." I mean, I I had one manager told me one time. He said, "I don't know how I'm going to do landscaping for this. It was a huge pharmaceutical facility because I don't have money to pay the gardeners." So, oh, it's, wow. it's really important to make sure that that the right people are involved, but it is definitely a team effort. And the more people, again, you don't want, you know, a whole lot of people. Um, Maybe I would say probably putting together the numbers, you should have the manager and their finance person. And then with the team, um, bring in the team as needed. I think the team is more important in the planning phase because you don't need these people to actually do the numbers because normally there's a finance person that can do that, that can translate your strategies and action plans, your work plan into numbers. But they do need to be involved in putting together that work plan that will eventually be converted into a budget. I'm really glad that you say that it should be a team sport. It should be a team initiative because I think you're absolutely right. It's how you certainly get buy-in from your team and you understand what their plans are and they understand where some of the opportunities and even the limitations are. And I think you started to, to touch on something that got me thinking of another question that I would love to hear your thoughts on. Once you've put together your budget, 
So you've worked with your team, you've gone through planning, you've put numbers into a spreadsheet, you've submitted that. What happens when there's pushback? How do you defend your budget and how can you secure buy-in from your leadership? Well, I think the, in again, I go back to the planning because, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you know, again, the numbers are only a reflection of your plans and your right. work plan for the upcoming year. So what I would normally tell my managers to do is I would tell them, Actually, what we would do in, in my division was we would all agree on what the priorities were for the division. And if when the when we were told we had to cut the budget, everybody had agreed on what the areas of priorities were. Now, that doesn't normally happen everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. So what I would recommend is to make sure that you have identified what your top priorities are, what those priorities cost. And again, it doesn't have to be the nitty gritty detail. You don't need to say, well, I'm spending so much in salaries and so much in this, but to say, okay, we have a continuous improvement program. That's a priority for the organization. And that my budget for that is, um, I don't know, a hundred thousand dollars. And we're going to train. 250 leaders, just as an example. Yep. And then yep. they can say, okay, well, what if instead of training 250 leaders, you train the 100? How would the number change? And so I think it's being able to put a dollar figure or, or in your budget on what are the key programs and how much they cost, and then put them in order of priority so that if your budget is cost, you know exactly, you don't have to go, you don't have to go through another iteration of the budget because you've already agreed beforehand as part of this team effort, as part of the planning process, if something has to go, where is it going to be? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I, I really appreciate the insights you shared there. There's one other that I think you started to touch on that I'm I'm curious about. This is something that's worked well for me in the past, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too. In terms of helping people in the leadership in an organization understand training priorities, tying it to organizational goals, helping leadership recognize how your training goals will help them to achieve what they may see as being bigger or bigger picture goals. Is that something that you've seen that has worked well for for yourself or for others? Absolutely, except I would invert the order. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to me, is is really for the training organization to understand what are the critical priorities of the organization and yes. then see how their training solutions can help the organization achieve their goals. So it's it's not training as a standalone disconnected from the organization or disengaged, but it's a training organization that fully supports the direction the organization is headed. So I would start with understanding where the organization is going. And that's why I mentioned it was so important to communicate with 
your client organizations and see what their needs are. And you know, sometimes their needs are not aligned either. And there needs to be pushback and say, listen, you're asking me to do this training program, but you know, the organization is not moving in that direction. So why would I want to do that? It really does come back to communication. It does. And one of the things that I've observed, and again, this is anecdotal. Yeah. (laughs) But one of the things that I've observed is that sometimes training programs acquire a life of their own. So we just do them because we did them last year. um, And we don't always go back and say, "Eh, did this training program really do what it was supposed to do? Have we seen an improvement in our performance as a result of this training program? And and, and I, I speak from experience, the financial training programs that I have done, I have not yet received, I mean, I receive, again, anecdotal feedback, but the organizations are not willing to put in the measurement tools to really understand, you know, you've invested all this money in a training program. What did you get out of it? And, um, and, and again, some of it is, you know, I, I had a, a manager the the HR person of, of this um, plant in Puerto Rico, she called me and she said, you know, my manager wanted me to contact you because he said he took a training course with you and it changed his life. And I said, oh, well, I'm, <laughs> it changed his professional life. And I said, well, I'm so glad to hear that because as trainers and, and as a financial trainer, you don't really um, get a whole lot of feedback on the impact besides the smiley faces at the end of the training, right? Yeah. And then anecdotal feedback. If you did it wrong, it, you're sure going to be getting feedback. <laughs> but if you do it right, um, they can say, oh, they really like the training. But to me, it's not whether you liked it or not. To me is, do you remember a year from now what a balance sheet and an income statement is? Do you remember how to budget salaries and office supplies? I mean, to me, that's, that's what's important. Absolutely. Gosh, I had not considered a budget as an invitation to strategic planning in such a way, but I, I, I'm really starting to see it as being a phenomenal tool for really examining what's working well and you know, perhaps what's not working as well for departments and for organizations as a whole. This has been fantastic. Now, I do have a question about strategic planning. As you just mentioned it, what can training professionals and talent development professionals do to sort of get a seat at the table when that's not usually something that they might be part of? Any recommendations you can make? Well, I think you have to earn your seat at the table. And I can speak from experience because working in the finance world, um, I mean, I, I once had a division head tell me, well, I don't understand why you're in this meeting. And I, and I looked at him and I said, well, I'm finance. I'm in everything. I, I, I need to be here. Um, but you, you, so you have to, don't expect your client to come to you. You need to go to your client and earn your seat at that table. And it's, it's going to be hard. I literally some times have gotten kicked out of meetings <laughs> um, and you just need to put your straight face and go back in there. Then maybe you can tap into that human resources liaison that will 
help you understand what those training needs are. It's, it's not going to be, it's not an easy process. And, and each organization, you need to figure out how you earn that seat at the table. All right. Guess what? It is that time in every episode where we go over the rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Awesome. Okay. Give us one book that all talent development professionals must read and why. Well, I, per, for me personally, uh, I, besides my own book, which I think all TD professionals should read because it is, if you're interested in budgeting, that 10 Steps to Successful Budgeting is a very easy and comprehensible book. But beyond that, there is one book that has influenced me as a trainer. It's not a training book per se. It's called Made to Stick. And it talks about how you can design your trainings so that your measure, so whatever message you're trying to get across, it really sticks with your audience and they retain it. And they have a mnemonic, which is called success. And it's simple, unexpected, concrete, credibility, emotional stories. And uh, so anyway, that's a book that I would recommend to all TD professionals. Cool. Might have to add it to my list. Okay. Give us one tool that you recently learned about and immediately started using. Well, over the course of the pandemic, I've been using polling more and more to minimize lecturing and engage the learners. And uh, one of the things I've learned is that most large platforms have very limited polling capabilities, but there's other tools out there like Poll Everywhere and Slido that allow you to be more creative. So I think the message here is if if you're engaged in uh, online learning and group live online learning, as most of us have been over the past year and a half. Keep your options open. Don't limit yourselves to the tools of the platform because there are other tools that you can integrate that may work well for your audience to keep them engaged, which I think is the biggest challenge as trainers that we have in this online environment. Yeah. I love that they have a lot of apps integrated. It's awesome. Okay, what is the best piece of talent development related advice that you've ever been given? Well, to me, uh, it is don't take it personal. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I, and I put it in the context uh, I, as a facilitator and as an instructional designer, um, you, you, know, you put in a lot of work and a lot of effort and there's always going to be somebody that hates you <laughs> for whatever reason. They didn't like your voice. They didn't like something you said. And I think as we receive feedback, I think it's important that we learn to separate which feedback is real and we really need to jump up and take note and we need to make some changes and which is uh, something that, you know, well, you, you just can't please everybody in a yeah. training session. Nice. Don't take it personal. Love that. For everything, not just talent development. Right. Okay. <laughs> Particularly if you're a facilitator. Yes. Because when I started as a facilitator and I, you know, somebody would put in this nasty comment, I'd get so depressed. And then I realized, you eh. know what? It's not personal. <laughs> that's it. So what's the one thing you're excited about that's coming up in the next year? I think I'm excited about getting back to some sort of live training. Uh, I think online is great, but there's something about having that personal contact that can't be substituted with an online course. 
And I do a lot of technical trainings, right? Cause I'm, I do financial training and there's nothing like looking at a blank stare to know that you need to explain it again. Yeah. And you don't get that online. Yeah. In person, it'll be great. Okay. Final one. What is, what will essentially, what are you thankful for or deeply grateful for in the industry or our ATD community? Well, I think I'm grateful for the ability that one, there is a community that is dedicated to training and that it allows us to stay abreast of the latest trends and provides new tools because ultimately our goal is to support the organization via training and that training can take many forms. It's not just workshops or seminars or or, or Zoom sessions. Um, there's a lot of ways we can train. And I think the ATD organization is provides great tools and great resources for us to achieve that. Those were some fantastic rapid fire answers and a fantastic conversation today. Liana Bell, we are so happy that you joined us for today's conversation. I think you've given us a whole new appreciation for the value of financial literacy and for budgeting for talent development professionals. We really appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And of course, a big thank you to my co-hosts as well. My pleasure. Some great valuable tips. Thank you so much. Mm. Thank you. And many thanks to our community for listening. And before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Volunteering with Metro DCATD will change your life. Are you ready to join our team? Go to dcatd.org forward slash volunteering and complete volunteer interest form. Love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and provide a review. Thank you.